and welcome back to the self-service podcast. Today I have a very special guest on the show and we are here to bust some myths around mental health, mental health issues and mental illnesses in order to help break down some of that stigma and hopefully enlighten you guys on how to understand these areas a bit better. So firstly, welcome Maggie Rose. I've had the pleasure of working with Maggie for the last two years now. Maggie, you've dedicated your whole life to mental health, both clinically and in a workplace context. Could you tell us more about you and your background? Okay, well, you know, I've been thinking about where it where my passion first started for mental health. And of course, it was never there because mental health found me rather than me looking to do something in this arena and started many, many, many years ago when in my daytime job, I did a, a voluntary visiting um, to, uh, to a hospital for the chronic sick. And one of the people that I visited got moved to our local mental hospital, which was a big old institution. And she was moved there and I knew that I was her only visitor. So even though I was scared and even though I'd grown up as this place being the the loony bin and the, you know, the place where all mad people, and I knew nothing about it, but I knew everything about her and knew that I wanted to visit her. And that's when the love affair began. And so I plucked up the courage, went to visit her in, she was in a long stay ward. And then that was where I fell in love with the whole topic of our mental health and the the experiences of mental illness. Thank you for sharing that and I think it's it has a scary connotation doesn't it as you mentioned the thought of you know a big mental health institution a mental health hospital and I think lots of people think about that when they even hear the term mental health uh, which is why I really wanted to talk to you today. But could you talk us a bit about where you next went in terms of your career? Because you spent a long time working in the NHS. Is that right? I did. So in total, um, I trained then for the next 10 years, really. And I, uh, I indented my training with, of course, clinical experiences in the wards. And I was specialising in acute mental illness at that time. And I also had a real kind of penchant for forensic mental health too. So I spent really the next 10 years in and out of a whole variety of training and development and clinical practice. And this took me through the roles that I've had in my career to date. And I ended as the vice principal of mental health at City University, where I was rather hoping that after all these years, I could make a a bigger influence on the training and education of those that choose to be 
working with people with mental illness because even though I've worked academically myself, I believe that working with people with mental illness is as much an art as it is a science. It's not enough to know about it. It's about how you interact with it and how, do you, how you build relationships with people who are experiencing mental illness. Did I succeed at that? Well, not really. Uh, there was a, a very strict structure in place about curricula and about how we trained people to be working in the service of, of mental health. So eventually I found myself after taking some time um, off to, to care for my own um, mum and dad and starting my own business. I then found myself working for the MIND, the mental health charity, and it was at the time of time to change and where we were really truly beginning to talk more openly about the changes that need to, to happen about people's understanding and the stigma around mental health. And that's where my workplace um, passion began. Seeing as we spend most of our lives at work, I think it's a very good place to start the understanding of what mental health and mental illness is and how much work impacts on it. Yes, and I think what you've just said there, it's evolved a lot in terms of um, how we do understand it, what people, um, what language people use. And I suppose the fact that it's even talked about more so today, more than ever, has it's come a long way. Um, yeah. But there's still so much stigma that exists. And do you still see that um, crucially in the workplace? Most definitely. I mean, I keep telling myself, and we have moved a long way, and let's not lose sight of that. We've moved a long way with our understanding, with our practice. We've moved a long way with legislation and the, the support that we have around the law. And we've also more recently got support around the world health organization recommendations, certainly in terms of the workplace. So I think the appetite has definitely moved. However, your next part of the question was, am I seeing a real movement in the original stigmas? Not always is my answer. There is still so much misunderstanding, fear and reluctance and ignorance around this group of illnesses yeah and I totally agree and that's why I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today because I feel like there's still so much space for us to continue the conversation and you know bust those myths that a lot of people commonly have whether that's unconsciously or consciously um, we have these biases um, and opinions around it so First of all, for everyone, I think it would be helpful to understand what is mental health in your words? Okay, so first of all, also for everyone, whatever I'm saying to you today is representing myself, my views, my experience and my lifetime working in mental health, not necessarily taking an academic or uh, media uh, opinion of it. So for me, Mental health is being able to make healthy choices 
in terms of our emotional, our psychological and our social world. So it's about thinking, acting and feeling in a healthy way. And even as I say it, I'm thinking, hmm, healthy according to who? Which is another big question. But as a summary of the definition, I think that that summarizes it well. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite subjective um, in terms of how you feel compared to what your normal, sort of what you feel your normal state is perhaps. Yes, and you know, you will know this, Alex, because yeah. one of the words I despise more than anything that's attached to mental health is normal. Yeah. <laughs> because we fall into it every time. So, you know, your listeners, I'd like your listeners to just reflect for a minute and say, you know, so what is normal? Is yeah. it normal for me or is it normal? Who is judging the normal? So, you know, it's one of those words that I think has been tied with with mental health and mental illness and should be untied um, it's yeah. not about being normal or not I agree and that's exactly why I use that word <laughs> to prop that <laughs> <laughs> um thank you and what are mental health issues and mental illness then for example and what's the difference between those two because we often talk uh, in our work about the mental health continuum and how we we move and our mental health fluctuates to and fro but how can we distinguish the difference between these two terms well I think as well going back years there were two two states of being which was mental health or mental illness and we didn't really understand this midway that has been quite a contemporary development of recognizing that people aren't in a healthy state and they aren't in a full illness state. But in fact, they're experiencing something that is having an impact or a consequence on the way that they're living their life at the moment. So it's not a healthy state, it's not an illness state, but it's an impact state where you are experiencing something either emotionally, psychologically, or socially that is interfering with what you could, should, and would do otherwise. So that's where issues came from. And I think I couldn't, I couldn't miss saying to you that this word issues is another one because often people say, well, mental health problems. Often they say mental health disorders. The reason I love the word issues is because it's infinitely time framed. So it's an, an issue that can be worked on. The other thing is it's not a condition or a disorder. These are, are quite pejorative words that really enable stigma further. So I think that issues is a very kind and descriptive word of the way that we feel when we leave our full mental health status. So that's why I like issues. And of course, illness is where you have been diagnosed and treated for something that is having a major consequence or impact on your life and the way that you wish to live it. Okay. And could you give us some examples of 
perhaps what may fall into um, a mental health issue category versus a mental illness? Yes, I mean, the the kind of issues, and I think that we we will all experience these, we will all experience mental health and mental health issues. And that's where we're not at our best. Life isn't dealing us a fair hand at the moment. Something has come into your life that you didn't invite or welcome to change your perceptions of joy or peace or happiness or productivity. So I think that the very typical ones that we talk about, that may be anxiety and anxiety falls into the category of both an issue and an illness, depending on how pervasive it is and the consequence of your experience. I think we can all identify with anxiety and say this is a state where we have this feeling of fear and doom and worry and we're just feeling anxious which is very, very different to having a generalized anxiety that is there all of the time from waking until sleeping. So the issue of anxiety would be very typical if you are looking at maybe work changes, redundancies coming up, change of um, mergers and acquisitions, whether or not you're getting older within your workplace and you're concerned about that, whether you are, you feel um, inexperienced to continue work, lots of different things, relationship issues, waiting for health results, all these things can enable anxiety to be an unwanted visitor in our mental health. The difference is with the passage of time and the support and help, issues will pass. Illnesses will usually be longer lasting. And that begs the question, what uh, illnesses can be treated or, or managed? Um, or is this something we, uh, we, we have to... To, to move with and navigate for, for the rest of our lives? How does, how would you explain that? Well, there are a group of illnesses that I prefer to say are severe and enduring. Mm -hmm. So you will probably carry them or elements of them for very long periods of time, if not a lifetime. These are considered to be SMI serious mental illnesses and years ago, there was only one call, uh, there, there was only one uh, route that you could go, and that was the treatment route. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about here bipolar disorder, for example, which is quite severe and enduring in terms of its changing a movement of moods and your behaviours within those moods. We're talking about schizophrenia that we still know so little about why. Uh, people experience schizophrenia, but you are very unlikely to recover from bipolar disorder, from schizophrenia. There'll be some clinicians that will classify personality disorders, in particular 
borderline personality disorder in this way. There are also some of the dementias that are still considered within this category of a severe and enduring mental illness, even though it has a physical um, causality to it. Um, so yes, years ago, there was, there was really only treatment. And I think what we're learning now is the role of management and self-understanding alongside treatment. I'm also talking about, because I've been around long enough to, to tell you this, that of course, years ago, 40 years ago, when I came into mental health, then you wouldn't stand a hope's chance of getting yourself in employment or even on a, a property ladder or having a driving license or any of these things if you experienced a serious mental illness and the treatment of it because the treatment of it was extremely serious and also created its own set of problems for you. So the treatment of the illness created a different set of problems, both physically and mentally for you. Now we're looking at early intervention of psychosis and we're looking at understanding hearing voices. We're looking at understanding it so that you can self-manage we are looking at many, many people with, with early diagnosed first episode psychosis that we would have called schizophrenia years ago. Uh, we're looking at these people actually not taking medication and managing their mental illness through understanding. There is one thing to say, managing it alone when you have a serious mental illness is a very tough call. So when I'm talking about management here, I'm talking about medication if and when required, but I'm talking about ongoing authentic support from somebody who truly understands the illness and how it's going to impact. Yeah, this has made me think about um, uh, a personal, um, I suppose, experience of, my dad, um, from a young age, he um, was in and out of um, mental um, health hospitals where he experienced um, psychosis um, when I was younger. Um, and he also um, had severe depression, of which the depression he has, he still lives with now. Um, but he's on, um, you know, medication, which keeps him at a a sort of functional stable level yeah. um so um it's interesting to hear you say that that perhaps um nowadays would that have been potentially you know if this was now rather than 25 years ago may that be looked at a bit differently um because I think there is a tendency or what I hear that people should go straight onto medication without looking at the holistic view and I suppose my my question is around what I'm hearing is, um, is this, you know, about um, prevention um, it, um, and what's the place for that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I think that now we've even got the guidelines now, the clinical guidelines uh, to, to not treat somebody until you fully observe everything because then we get a masked impression of what's going on for people often that leads to inaccurate diagnosis or it did in the past and therefore the treatment followed 
that inaccurate um, diagnosis in the first place. And yeah. the question that you're asking is one I, I often ask myself that, uh, and I ask the same about post-traumatic um, disorders because I wonder when I look back at the hospital that I worked in, so, so many of the long-term patients in there were post-war veterans. Mm. And, you know, you can't help but wonder, they were automatically treated for schizophrenia, assuming that their voices and their replays of things were hallucinations. And of course, as we grew to know much more about the, the signs and symptoms of post-trauma, then we know that that is characterized by replays and by hearing things and seeing things all over again. So I can't answer the question about your dad, but I can say I ask that question many, many times. And I guess it's so as we move on with any illnesses, Alex, that you know, you used to die from measles. And yeah. so all of our illnesses, including mental illnesses, and of course, we're way, way behind with our understanding of mental illness. But I think the developments always make us look back to say, was the past an accurate reflection of what really happened? Absolutely. And what about depression specifically? Because I think also a lot of us um say oh I'm feeling low I'm oh that's depressing me oh feeling depressed about that versus actually living with depression yeah what can you tell us about the differences between that and more from clinically to perhaps how you might be feeling and um it, it as we said earlier about fluctuating in how you do feel um and what that difference is well, I think that your listeners will hear that the major theme here is about the length of time that something is impacting on you. And so a bit like anxiety, we can all get anxious, you know, maybe you're afraid of heights or and you, you create an anxiety that will pass. But I think that once you've got something that is long lasting, and pervasive in this way, then you're talking about the difference between, first of all, a word, because our language likes to use words like anxious, depressed, stress. You know, we like to use those words, thinking that other people know what we mean. And as a result of that, we've become a bit tired of the words, which I think contributes to the stigma a bit. Mm -hmm. So when everyone's saying that they're depressed, then you know depression seems to have a different worth then. When yeah. I talk about depression, uh, it's far greater than a low mood that is going to last for days or weeks, that this is something that impacts on your daily life, your, your sadness, your unhappiness, your inability to even understand it, to, to move beyond it, to manage it in any way that's when depression is illness. And so you lose sight and you lose the essence of any feelings that are positive or joyous. And that goes on for a long 
time. Now, you might be saying, well, how long is a long time? Well, you determine that, you know, and, and so do your family and so do your loved ones. Because we can all understand feelings of depression that are as a result of a reaction to something sad or desperate or traumatic. But somehow we all have a time limit in our mind about how long that's supposed to last. And so I think that that's a matter of your personal and your nearest and dearest, uh, the, the whole definition of what is too long. For me, when it starts to impact what you could, should, and want to do, then it's too long. Yeah, and when you say that, you know, when, how long can that be? I automatically do think of my dad because yeah. that started when I was, gosh, um, between the ages of five and seven and I'm 30 now and it's something that he still lives with. So um, I completely understand how um, debilitating and life-changing that can be because of what I've seen, you know, and, and, and sort of characteristic characteristics that you've mentioned um you know my dad doesn't drive anymore he lives a very simple life on his own he doesn't really sort of socialize and you know that's very different to how he used to be but that's been over a significant number of years um so I really resonate with that and you also mentioned about friends and family and I can't help but think how important that is to have um that community around you um, so a question I suppose I wanted to ask is what, what could we do if we do notice people, um, changing, you know, from, um, perhaps what we see as, um, uh, good positive mental health and we see changes, uh, in, in our loved ones, what can we do? The first thing that we can do is love somebody anyway. So I think that it's very hard to like the behaviours that mental health issues and mental illnesses invite you to display. So I think that there's something about examining the relationship you have in the first place, because only those nearest and dearest and trusted are the ones that really have the certificate to talk to me. Okay. So when somebody notices and they don't know me, then that kind of is irrelevant to me. Mm -hmm. But my nearest and dearest saying to me, Maggie, I'm worried about you. And not trying to put the feelings that you're seeing, but saying what you are seeing. You know, you don't seem to text me anymore or you don't answer in the way you did or you're looking sad. So you know the permissions that you have got within the relationship and the language that you normally use. And so my big advice is to just use that, just say what you would normally say and say what, you know, what your heart is telling you. There are no right words to say when somebody is really experiencing depression and there's no wrong way to say it. There's no wrong words to say, but to say, I've noticed and I really care about it. And when you're ready, so am I. And to just 
really make sure that you are present and not turning your back. With severe and enduring illnesses, I think one of the hardest things to do is maintain your own energy and your own friendship when somebody you love dearly is experiencing a longer term mental illness. It's quite exhausting, it's quite unfulfilling at times, it's very frightening in case you say or do the wrong thing. You may hear things that you don't know what to do with. And so I think that it takes a good, loyal qualification to be, you know, saying anything to those that you've noticed a change in. Yeah. And if in doubt, ask. You know, one of the great myths around is that if I'm experiencing a mental health issue or a mental illness, that you can't have a normal conversation with me. Well, of course mm -hmm. you can. Mm -hmm. You can say, Maggie, I don't know what's going on for you, but, you know, I'm feeling sad. And just ask me. So just be yourself and know that you care and make sure that person knows that you care and one thing to always remember it's not them it's their illness and i think that that's a really important mantra that however they're answering treating you mistreating you this isn't them it's their their illness and so forgive a little more i'm not saying get abused but yeah be forgiving and know that this is the illness talking. Maggie, I really love that. And I think that's the biggest obstacle that we experience in this world when it comes to this topic, because people are scared and they're scared of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. And perhaps, you know, find it uneasy to be around people when they're experiencing, you know, illness. But with that, often leads to avoidance and that's yeah. the awful part you know I've seen um in our family you know family that just isn't part of our lives anymore because you know they obviously found it quite difficult to um have those conversations and and be part of that because it was like well I don't know what to do so I'm going to do nothing so I think what's yeah. really important is that we don't fall into that because as you say it can be so easy as easy as asking a question and, and um, letting that person know that you're there. So what can we do to be more aware and help remove the stigma that surrounds mental health? Well, today is a step, it's a positive step because for me, still the biggest hurdles to climb with stigma is true understanding of what things are and what they're not. Mm -hmm. And so to really try and improve your own knowledge around mental illness, particularly if someone near or dear to you is experiencing it, then get learning about it, get understanding everything that you can tolerate um, about it so that you can really feel a lot more confident about pushing away some of the myths that you may have grown up with and not realize that they're buried in your unconscious bias. So learn an awful lot. Be courageous. 
know that there is no wrong thing when you care about somebody. Know that asking somebody, how are you, means you should stick around to listen to the answer, otherwise don't ask it. Know that how are you sometimes takes two asks. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Well, so, you know, stick with it. And I guess the other thing is practicing skills. If I were to leave your listeners with something that I experience most when people are talking about, well, how do I ask or how do I behave? You can't solve this. Don't start giving solutions to somebody that has probably tried every single thing that you can possibly think that might come out of your mouth. Of course they have. Please don't give banal solutions when somebody has opened up and expressed their own mental health issue to you. They want someone to listen. They know you can't solve it. Telling someone to go out and have a walk or go down the gym is absolutely not okay when I can't even get out of my bed. So please, please look at your questioning, how you're talking to people and try and stop yourself giving solutions because my mental health is mine it's not yours and you have no solution to give me that I probably haven't thought of myself wow thank you Maggie that is one that I imagine we all can relate to I'm pretty sure we've all been on the receiving end of someone giving you solutions when you are feeling so bad or feeling like you just need someone to listen and when someone you kind of pluck up that courage to actually finally talk and open up and then you're met with all of these solutions it makes you feel so much worse and it really (laughs) you you feel so so angry actually yeah and there's something else that you're making me think that I want to leave people with as well don't do comparisons either oh oh, I know how you feel I felt like that love and comparisons are wicked yeah and I think it's that um misconception that we feel like we need to solve this for someone and yeah well I've experienced this so this will work for you and no we're all individual we're all made up of our own experiences and my mental health is mine and your mental health is yours and it I I can't advise or give you expertise on that because you're an expertise in your own mental health um but I'm sure we've also been on the other end where we can remember times where we have also been like that and giving given people solutions so I think that's such a key takeaway for us all to to think about um as we sort of go on our day-to-day lives with these occasions that do come up frequently but um Thank you so much, Maggie, for coming on the episode. I think to summarise some of the key points that we've gone through, um, you know, I think the key messages are mental health is something that we all have. We all have it. (laughs) And it moves frequently to and fro towards issue to back to health, depending on what's going on in our lives. And it's okay for that to happen. And um. 
language is key to this key to removing stigma is you know keeping yourself up to up to date with the knowledge of what um, issues and illnesses are and what language to use because a lot has changed in the last yes. few years um and and asking questions and perhaps signposting um it, it is a key message there of if you do notice changes in other people but also in yourself make sure that if you're not feeling okay that is okay and do talk and seek help and um i think that with that with this messaging in mind we can all play our part and play a responsibility in helping remove that stigma yep yep totally and let's all do it you know in yeah. one small way or another let's bust the stigma today absolutely thank you so much maggie for taking the time and coming on the episode it's been so good to have you your knowledge you're so engaging uh where can people find you if they are interested in your work or interested well, in chatting more <laughs> my name is maggie rose as you know you can find me working away at mental health at work and so i encourage you that if you're looking for a workplace uh, piece then mental health at work is a very good resource for that and other than that you can just google me um, at maggie rose and i have no e on my name so it's m-a-g-g-i so i look forward to inviting anybody to further this conversation and i thank you alex for running this series, which is an important part of busting stigma. So good luck with future podcasts. And I look forward to coming back again one day. Thank you so much. I'll certainly have you back. Um, <laughs> so thanks everyone for listening. Please jump on and give this episode a review. Um, make sure you rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening and share on your socials. So um, the Instagram is at the self-service underscore and tune in next time to discover the power of self-service. Mm -hmm.